Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, a hasher who started as a baby, literally, from a big hashing family, the spawn of Digit. A hasher who started in Manila and hashed extensively in India for the last 35 years. Please welcome on the podcast today, Fast Food. Welcome. Let's get to know you, Fast Food. Where and when and how did you start hashing? The question, complicated. Because even though I was hashing with the Manila mixed hash when I, I was an infant, I did go on a couple trails, but because I was so young, I can't actually remember clearly. My main, obviously, hash is Hyderabad hash because I grew up in Hyderabad and my father, Digit, was the founder of the Hyderabad hash. Yeah, Manila mixed is my mother hash, if you want to be technically correct about it. Most of my hashes were done in India. That's where we lived and I grew up there. My middle of mixed is my mother hash and Hyderabad is my home hash. Digit was my father. His hashing is in his blood and <laughs> that's how I guess I was born to hash. You know, one of the things that I enjoy is meet people who have been hashing for 30 years. These guys know me because I have been hashing for as long as them. You know? And when I meet somebody twice my age who's only been hashing for 10 years, I'd say you're my junior in terms of hashing because I've been hashing 20 years longer than you. Get a big kick out of telling people that. What is the origin of your hash name? My hash name came from my first name, Tucker, which in Australia is used for food. And once upon a time, I used to be fast, so it was logical to put them together, and that is how I became known as fast food. But before that, I was known as Suitcase, because whenever I used to go on the run, I used to always take the runner's trail, and somehow, because of my tiny frame, or just because I was a lazy git, I would stop and demand to be carried the rest of the way to the finish line. And usually people would avoid me, <laughs> but there are a few who decided that they would carry me to the end. And one of those, to take note, I got their hash name, Aya, nanny in many languages, uh, for that reason. So Aya was named because he used to carry me through the runner's trail at the end. When I, when I got too big for that, my name basically changed to fast food. The naming ceremony took place after I turned eight years old. Digit was the one who suggested it, and after explaining what Tucker or Taka meant, yeah, it was unanimous and my name changed. Never questioned the ways of the GM and the RA, I guess. What are the hash traditions that are your preferences and maybe even specific to Hyderabad? Hash traditions are something that is complicated in many ways. It depends on the hash, depends on who, depends on where you are. There are many factors and I've traversed enough of the world to understand how those aspects of hash really differ from place to place. A lot of traditions that go from place to place that usually do not follow the norms of other places. For example, on the Hyderabad hash, you cannot be a, a hare without a hash name. And so that tradition has 
come about where if you set a run, you get a hash name. Where that tradition came from was that you could not refer to a person in the circle by their real name. You always had to refer, uh, refer to them by their hash name. If the person didn't have a hash name, obviously you couldn't refer to that person. So therefore, the person needed a hash name for you to refer to them so that you could charge them or give them or make them do a downtown. So I'm uh, quite partial to the on back where if you run on a trail and you hit false trail you go back to the to the last check uh, some runs don't do that they set the trail and then if there's a false trail you deviate from the trail and you find another way traditionally i prefer the on back where you if you go down the trail and it's wrong you have to go all the way back and it's pretty humorous to see the FRBs running all the way out there and, you know, they have to turn, take a U-turn and just come straight back or, you know, risk the shortcut. Yeah, I was pretty notorious for shortcutting. Yeah, the shortcutting is another tradition that many hashes also have. Things about in, in many hashes, they are punished severely by being iced. I remember, I think it was Singapore. In Singapore, I was iced for a full solid maybe 25 minutes because I took this massive shortcut, even though the shortcut involved me swimming across a lake. <laughs> so I was soaking wet by the end of it. But in Singapore, being iced is fine because it's a very hot country, so it was fine there. But yeah, I, I've been iced in countries like Holland. When you get iced in a country that has pretty cold temperature, it's not a pleasant experience, you know. And, Eskimo now and balls go blue, right? <laughs> There's a hash somewhere in the US. In the middle of the trail, we had a circle, a small circle, and they had the beer hidden in the water of the river, so it was cold, and we had a mini circle, you know, on the trail itself and you know it was a holding check with a mini circle i don't think you could get away with that in philippines or any of the other countries because you know there's people everywhere and they see you hiding beer you know in the water they're going to take it right and some of the hashes have the hash shit which is uh, something that i get but i've never really seen it outside of very select hashes the rules for getting it change from hash to hash. For example, in some hashes, you have to be the one who has done the absolute worst thing on the run, or you've, you've done something absolutely just completely terrible. You have to wear a toilet seat cover as a necklace throughout the run, and so that everybody knows that hash it has to then find another person who's done the terrible thing for that run and basically hand over the title hash it to that person. Other traditions in carrying around a plunger and uh, your job is to make sure that people respect the circles. For some hashes, particularly the bigger ones, you have the hash haberdash. And their job is to flog hash merchandise try to raise funds for the hash through you know selling t-shirts beer holders souvenirs of other sorts some hashes where if you come to the hash without a hash t-shirt you have to buy something from the haberdashery have to in quotes obviously you know it's it's all in good fun when we go to a hash i always try to wear a hash t-shirt and i like collecting hash t-shirts i have i'm quite proud of my hash t-shirt collection. What a lot of uh, hashes don't realize is that there's always a separate shirt for the horrors because there's not many of them. So the hash horrors t-shirts are actually rarer in many cases than the normal hash t-shirts. Some hashes have a holding check where you have to hold there and wait for everyone to come together. So usually what they do is they set the holding check and then the, the 
the stragglers can catch up to the main pack so that you know they don't get too far apart. There was one hash, they had a musical check. It was like a holding check, but whoever stood in the circle with the M on it had to sing a song. And it was basically a holding check with entertainment. And I, I kind of like that. It was really cool. You know, I used to be part of the Hashers Quartet. And it was re really nice to for people to try and struggle to stand in one of these little circles and try to sing in, as a quartet. That was fun. There are many Hashes that adopt music differently into their circles. For example, particularly in the Hyderabad Hash, if you say a certain word or you tell people where you're from a certain place, they interrupt the ongoings and raucously sing about that person or that from that place. So if you were in a Hyderabad circle and you said, well, I'm from Australia, the whole circle would burst out, oh, all Australians are born illegitimate. And a bunch of songs like that. It's, it's all in good fun, obviously. Many hash circles have different songs for the down downs, drink it down, you Delhi Wallas, drink it down, you noble spritz, 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 ha -cha -ha -cha. you know, there's so many um, different songs are a very strong part of, of hashing culture, obviously traditional hashing, but I think what a lot of hashes differ on even with the hash anthem. Uh, swing low. So for swing low, there officially there's two verses, but but they had three verses, and the third verse was if you get there before I do, coming forward to carry me home, tell all my friends I'm coming too. The actions are pretty obvious. So that was a verse I never heard before. If I'm leading a swing low in a circle, I will sing all three verses. Usually in that order, you start with the normal, then you go to over Jordan then, you know, coming home. And there are others, the Hashman version, where you swing low, sweet chariot, coming, and then as soon as you say coming, you, you, because <laughs> you fall asleep, and then you have the Harriet's version, the horrors version, some other version that's not considered right, I guess, not considered politically correct. I hate that term. But anyway, but not considered politically correct these days. Music is a big thing with the hash. I think definitely cornerstone of the hash is singing as well. Who were hashing mentors and other influential hashers in your life? That's a hard one for me because I grew up hashing. In some way, everyone has been a mentor to me. Definitely my father, Digit, is the number one because if it weren't for him, never hash at all. And you know, it's not just my immediate family, it's my uncle. His hash name is The Fat One. He's also a big hasher. He influenced me quite a lot too. Part of that stock, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, I've been hashing for a long time. So my mentors are all the hashers that have hashed for as long or longer than me, which includes some hashes that are sadly no longer with us. I know Chibai recently passed away, which is, you know, a tragedy and Wolf, he was also obviously there and they influenced and shaped me as an individual in many ways, not just in the hashing world too, because you know I was young and very easy to influence. And they influenced me in the right way, which I think is very important for, because we used to have a saying back in the day, oh, you can trust him, he's a hasher. In many ways, I think that is true to some extent, but not as true as it once was. I remember I got my passport stolen in Malaysia and I had nowhere to go. So I picked up the phone. Somebody said, stay with Tumbling Bill. 
So I stayed with Tumbling Bill Patton for a week and he didn't bat an eyelid, didn't say anything and it was great. We stayed with him and I already knew him from before. I had uh, helped out a little bit with the genealogy he was working on for the hash genealogy. I stayed with him and we had a, we, you know, we caught up, you know, over the years and yeah, it was, a, I heard what happened to him and that, well, that's another story. There are too many. I think Rail Jerker is another person who I think had a huge influence. And, you know, the Penguin, Mr. Magoo, I guess. And there's some hashes that I know, but I don't know Garfield. If you're listening to this and you know who, who you are, I apologize for not naming you out. Many of these people have had huge influences on my life, and, and I appreciate them for that. Drain Oil, obviously Drain Oil. He's played a huge role. Huge enough. I guess guys don't realize because, you know, to them it's just going on and having fun, mingling and meeting people, but they have their stories, the things they tell, similar how I'm telling you guys, but you know how I'm just talking here and just shooting my mouth off and some of these guys had fantastic anecdotes. In an era that is never going to come again, telling stories of hashing in places that no longer. Well, for example, I hashed in Pakistan back in the 1990s, and you can't do that anymore. I remember tasting Mari's beer, and it was so traumatic, I've never forgotten it. It was the worst beer I've ever drunk. Back in the day, there was a hasher called Perfect Ten. Rest in peace. Perfect Ten taught me that to appreciate drink wasn't to drink to get drunk, even though he always got drunk, but to appreciate the taste. And if you like the taste a lot, take it easy. He never followed that advice. He was a fantastic human being. He is missed. I also would like to thank Squatter. Squatter was one of the few hashers who came to my dad's uh, uh, wake in the, the Philippines after he passed. His care for chronological taking note of the history of his little corner of the hashing world but also chronicling I don't want to say chronicling my family as in he's like my personal chronological he has been very accurate in maintaining accurate historic hashtorical you know events as well as can be expected it's quite interesting to read some of his anecdotes obviously you have TNT rest in peace again you know TNT had a I grew up with TNT he was basically like my my adopted uncle but he had a huge role in our family throughout the entirety of our lives he was very close so I need to at least mention him and his amazing attitude and patience. He taught patience. There was no one more patient than TNT. And speaking of TNT, you have Charlie Dynamite. Again, rest in peace. Oh man, I'm just naming all the... <laughs> but Charlie, you know, in his tra tragic demise after Noah, he was amazing. A shining star, a bright light at any party, you know. There, there are others who may not have had the kind of history, but definitely had some impact. Guy who used to hold the world record for fastest down-downs, uh, Hooray Henry. Met Hooray Henry a couple times, and the first time I met him in Cyprus in 1996, he hadn't drink then because uh, obviously what happened uh, before when he <laughs> Yeah, threw up, you know, he, he didn't have a great time from the last experience, so he didn't do it that year. Speaking of 
champions. There was Sweep, who to this day you can't convince me that Sweep was a human being because there is no human being that can consume that much beer in that amount of time and not be some sort of android or some other non-human entity because yeah, it was insane. You can't drink two liters of beer in six seconds or whatever obscene number that he did it in. But Sweet was an interesting fellow. I don't know where he is. Despite his gigantic stature, I think he was like six foot six, you know, massive human being. He was a teddy bear. <laughs> he was very sweet. And, you know, this guy just didn't look like a hasher. He looked more like a professional hell's angel biker guy you know he was just he dressed in in leather he had a mohawk and pink and, and red and I had some other my god he was just a great guy he my brother and him hit it off spark plug my brother and him hit it off really well i know i'm gonna miss a few uh, not a few but a lot especially a lot of the hyderabad hash regulars <laughs> they're probably like what about me you didn't mention me well Everyone in the Hyderabad hash is basically like family. Everyone from Pusher to Obelix to Cleopatra, Lady Di, Dingling, Phallus from Dallas. I really can't name them all. Solutions, I guess. If they all ever bother listening to this, if you're from the Hyderabad hash, you know I love you. And not just the Hyderabad hash, but many of the other hashes too. Very tough question <laughs> for me to answer, I guess. And we'll leave it at that. So to elaborate a little bit more about how influential my father was, Digit, to hashing, because I think I glanced over it, I glossed over it, and in hindsight, I think I need to go into it a bit deeper. I grew up as an expat brat, what many, in quotations, call a TCK, a third culture kid. We grew up in a very small bubble in India and hashing was pretty much the only thing we could do. It was basically our church. You know, every Sunday we did it. You know, we met our friends from school. It was a very core part of our growing up. In many ways, many of my long-term friendships to this day were because of those foundations and those people that we met and we were allowed to let down our hair, so to speak, and become much more, I don't want to use intimate because it, it means the wrong thing, but basically allowed us to be closer friends and those friendships have lasted the test of time. I mean, we don't, obviously we're all across the planet now, we're in many different countries, but you know, we can, I can still reach out to one of them and say, hey, what's up? And it's, it's still there, even though, you know, we haven't seen each other in more than 10 years, the friendships last, and, you know, th those guys definitely don't hash anymore. And if it weren't for the hash, those friendships would have never formed as strongly as they have. Part of that I attribute to my father because he was just one of those kind of people who it was like he was a he was a flame and he and everybody's drawn to him. He was some it was definitely some energy there. And a lot of people, you know, walk you looked up to him and appreciated him for what he was uh, in terms of uh, as just as a human being. It's it's hard to describe a person like him in, in an interview. I mean, you could have an entire interview discussing Digit on his own, and you don't need to ask just me about it. I'm pretty sure several other others will mention him in some capacity at some point. But he was just a titan of a man. And he loved hashing. Hashing was his world, and I cannot tell people enough how hashing was just so important to him in many ways and people say why but it was and he loved it and you know he, he loved it on, on a whole different level and I, I appreciate it because I, I think that 
phenomenon or that mentality is lost in some people. It's different in many different ways. How do I describe this? It's a way of life for many people. It, it's more than just a place to hang out. It's a very close-knit family in some sense. It's a family that is not family. And it's, and it's also where people of a, oh, what, what is the term, a birds of a feather flock together? It's like that, more, much closer. You know, when I go to a circle, you know, people appreciate or they tell me, oh, wow, you can, you can really run a circle. So yeah, because the hash lets me. It's like they, they don't discourage you. They allow you to come in there. They, they give you your turn to speak. They appreciate the effort, even though it doesn't always come across as successful. They, you know, it's, it's a thought that counts. And a lot of it is like that. And to me, the hash draws in a lot of fantastic people. And yeah, okay, you get your bad eggs. There have been fewer bad eggs in the hash than any other group that I've ever been involved with. And I think that says something and is a testament to the kind of people that the hash attract. I think that not just my father, but many of the hashers that I mentioned have set that standard. And I think it's up to the newer hashers to maintain that standard in some way. I'm not trying to be political because you can't tell until you know you really get to know a person anyway, but it is quite important that that mentality remains because it really is one of the core parts of a hash. After years of hashing, I've finally learned to recognize that aspect of the hash is pretty important. It's more than the songs, it's more than the lewd jokes, it's more than anything else. It's, it's the people because if you don't have people who appreciate the humor and the irony and the satire and you know on all these things then it's, it's just lost it turns from funny and that's that's a shame it does happen i've seen it happen to to you know to some ashes but for the most part i don't think so and you know, it's a fantastic group and to understand that i think it's a contribution from everyone you know to to let me know that, that there's more to a thing than than what it is you know, you have to peel back the, the layers to see, to get to the middle, so to speak. And I think that was one very important thing my father, Digit, taught me, was just, if you meet somebody, don't just automatically think, oh, that guy's so-and-so, I don't want to be friends with him. It's like, that's not how it works. You've got you to peel back those layers. You were involved with Goa Interhash actually as a part of mismanagement team there. What about that event and other hash events have been most memorable and enjoyable for you? To date, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think to date. The only time when India has allowed beer to be served, not sold, but served on a train was the, the beer train or the Interhash Express from Mumbai to Goa. Uh, during just the during I think the day before the event started and it has never been done ever since and it was crazy because they actually had Interhash Express painted on the carriages reserved for the Interhash and basically what they did was everybody piled on at the Mumbai train station and they basically sealed the doors no one could go in or out and once the doors were sealed the party started and I still hear people talk about it with me today, and they're like, wow, that was great. Were you involved in that? And sadly, no, I wasn't. But TNT was, and I think, I don't want to do injustice to the others who were involved, but as, and there were many others involved in that, but it, 
to date, I think, has the only time when alcohol was actually allowed on a train. The only time I've ever heard of this happening. A little bit of hash history. At the time, the ability to produce custom cans was unheard of in India. So Digit goes up and has a meeting with the owner of Kingfisher Beer at the time, which was Vijay Malia, and he has the can that they had at the Interhash KL1998, the Anchor Beer can, with the Anchor Beer, Anchor Beer logo on one side and the KL Interhash on the other side. And he basically said, this is what they did in KL. Are you telling me that Kingfisher Beer in India can't replicate this? The Kingfisher guy said, yes, we can do it. They actually had these custom can printing machines done in Germany and then shipped those custom cans to India to be filled in India. And that is how we got the Kingfisher beer done. Like, I, I'm telling it very blandly, but basically Digit you know, threw down the gauntlet to this multi-billionaire and said, can you do this? And the guy took him up on the challenge. And that was how the uh, custom cans for the Interhash Goa 2002 were made, was because Digit insisted upon it in his own charming way. I was one of those involved in the mismanagement committee and I wasn't as involved as some of the others. Uh, Digit being his son, I was forced to help out, but I remember how big it was and I remember how amazing it was and the backstory of how epic that hash was and how well it turned out for 2002 was by far the, the best interaction in my opinion. Yeah, I might be a little bit prejudiced <laughs> considering I was involved, but it was really great. I had a good time. I had a good time being involved in it. I had a great time being setting up trail for it, helping out on stage, going around such incredible people. One moment to me that stood out was how happy it was for everyone. Like everyone really enjoyed being there. It was great to see such camaraderie from the side of an organizer. Give me the warm fuzzies to say, oh look what I, I helped. All these people are enjoying this whole shindig because you know I helped out and that was great because the past three, four in Rotorua, 96 in Cyprus and 98 in KL, I was on the other side. I was a reveler. I was having fun. So it was great to see it from the other side. When we went on vacation, Digit used to try to go to as many hash events as possible. So I was at Islamabad's uh, 1000, Manila men's, Manila mixed hashes that come to mind. You know, some of those runs are pretty legendary. For, I posted a hash event in Nepal where we trekked in the mountains for three days. And, we went from somewhere near Kathmandu to Pokhara. That was that's also a big event there. You know, we slept in tents. It was basically like a three-day-long hash weekend. Many of the African hashes themselves are amazing. <laughs> There's the potential of a, of a wild animal coming around the corner at any moment. It was pretty interesting. The Colombo Harriet's 1000 also was a pretty amazing hash. I remember running in. Uh, I think it was La Union in the Philippines and we were running and they got to this point where we had to basically climb up these ravines using these, they called it rope, but it was basically string. <laughs> it was fun and we did it until sadly I think one of the hashes slipped and bumped, bumped their head and they had to be carted off by a hospital. They, they were alright, but you know, that was a scary moment.
the Indian Nash Hash. It says, once upon a time, I was was one of the few who had attended every single Nash Hash. I think only one hasher can claim that, and that's Beep Beep. Hi, Beep Beep, if you're listening. So he's the last survivor for the Indian Nash Hashes. For the Americas, uh, Pan America Hash, I went to Pittsburgh. That was nuts. It's wild looking back in it and wondering, you know, people, oh, they consider me too young? But yet here I am, sitting there watching these buffoons doing all these things, and in my head I'm thinking, those guys are just bananas. They were putting toilet paper in their uh, rear end, you know, in the, in the cracks, in putting toilet paper in the cracks, and letting it trail off like a tail, then lighting it on fire and dancing around the fire pit. I just stood there just like, what is going on? It's not like I wanted to emulate it. And, you know, I spent most of my time catching up with the, I would consider more normal people. <laughs> but, you know, it was good. It was good. It was something to laugh at. And I think that's, that's part of the, that's the whole part of the thing is just to have fun. So I went on a cross-country skiing hash once. And, you know, I'm not used to using those muscles for uh, exercise. So I got really tired and I had to uh, go back on an auto uh, snowmobile because I just couldn't do it. And then there was a snowshoe hashing, and the snowshoe broke. So I was basically swimming in snow, you know, a couple miles before <laughs> to the uh, beer truck, which instead of serving beer, they were serving uh, hot brandy or something. Of course, I couldn't drink that. I didn't like it. I had hot cider, which was great. Many, many uh, fantastic events. Let's talk about individuals that you remember past and present. Of course, you won't have time to remember them all, but just who comes to mind that you can talk about today? One of the hashes that I should call out, obviously, is my father, Digit. And I, I think I've told a lot about him. He is definitely an unforgettable hasher, and his impact on the hash has been... I, I mean, it has waned, obviously, the years preceding his demise. He wasn't as active, and that wasn't because he didn't want to be. It was, you know, he was sick. Sickness he had didn't allow him to be active. His demise shocked the hashing community, I think. To this day, I, I mean, I haven't got over it. And, you know, obviously I'm his son, so I have a reason to. But a lot of others have felt the, the shining beacon of what was the hashing essence has diminished and it's not just digit it's it's also a number of the legends that have gone those old souls definitely part of an era of the hash that an, an epoch that has gone now tnt was but he was an amazing human being and you could bother him and and you know do all sorts of things he had more patience than i think of of uh what is it buddha Buddha was patient three times, uh, Reggie was just patient and patient and patient. He just didn't do anything. He did have a limit. You see, during Interhash 2002, I ate him out of his own home because I used to eat like a garbage truck. <laughs> when you're on a strict budget and, the, and your house guest eats a lot, years afterwards, TNT would remind me just, <laughs> just how miserable I made him. Even though I have hadn't seen him for years, it's always sad to hear when when a hasher like them pass away. And recently, of course, Chibai shuffled off his mortal coil and joined the great circle in the sky. For that, I think Wolf and so many amazing human beings are joining the big circle in the sky. And it's hard to talk about. I mean, Tumbling Bill, he was amazing. I mean, to create what he created, the genealogy was... I don't know who's taken charge of it, but I, I hope 
they are doing justice to it because it was such hard work. I remember going to 2002, we dedicated a room to him. Say, this is Tumbling Bill's genealogy room. Come in here and see just this amazing map of hash history. There are stories of mysterious hashes being born out of the ether, finally getting traced back to the originating hashes, their mother hashes. And amazing to see the connections being drawn up. You know, they, they live on, I guess, through the hashing traditions. If you can join a memorial run, please do so, because it, it really keeps that memory of that hasher alive. I'm trying to get Digit's uh, memorial runs more active. I mean, the past couple of years, thanks to the pandemic and everything, have been difficult, but I'm trying to make it, you know, an annual thing, you know, the annual Digit Memorial Run, and hopefully that will give a chance to celebrate his, his memory. Okay, you started as a baby, but over the years, how have you seen hashing change? Yes, I started hashing when I was two, and I'm 37. Obviously, they would have changed over the years. <laughs> For me, hashing went from hanging out with my friends and me messing around in wilds of India to a place to meet potential women in teenage years, to a place to chill out with friends. I guess chill out with friends has always been, been there. It sort of evolved. Different hashes, different attitudes as well. There are certain hashes that have a certain decorum to them, and there are other hashes that are just basically a free-for-all. You know, you have to respect those hashes and you have to adapt to their attitudes. I, my core attitude towards the hash has definitely changed. What I have found is I am more in tune with the Asian and African hashes than I am with the European and US hashes. I haven't hashed in South America, but when I do, I will tell you whether or not I am in line with those. Somehow do have a lot in common with the Aussies and the Kiwis in uh, Brisbane. Auckland. Yeah, I think I ran with a New Zealand Navy hash. Oh my god, that was a long hash. I loved hashing in the UK quite quite a lot. Joining um, White Trash at the currently unnamed Thames Hash House Harriers. <laughs> Even though it was a pub run, it was, it was fantastic. And I absolutely did not enjoy running with the Cambridge hash even though you know they ran religiously every Monday it's just running from the same pub every week I cannot compute it you know because there's only so many places you can go but you know that's that's their tradition and I respected it it was so after three runs I stopped running on it you know it was actually surprising to see a lot of really old-timer hashes there I didn't realize that they they ran with it Cambridge, uh, UK, not Cambridge, US. But there was another Cambridge hash that had a more traditional hash scene, but I didn't have a car, so I couldn't go to many of the runs. But those were nice hashes. I, I liked them. And uh, again, very long. Not as long as these military goofballs, but pretty long. Okay, you've lived hashing all your life. How important are the traditions of the hashing and what is the essence of hashing and what is it that we all have or what makes hashing hashing? I believe that the traditions and the aspects of hashing can differ as long as at least the core fundamentals stay relatively in line with the meaning of the hash. And this is not a a personal thing. I think it's it's very important that hashers understand 
what it is about the hash that makes it particularly special. And I think that has kind of been shrouded with the obsession of the lewd jokes, massive amount of innuendo that goes on in the hashing community. And that's fine, you know, that, that's how it is. But I think people forget that that is not particularly all the hash is about. But I think the hash really does have a core fundamental in that you try not to be an asshole. And that's pretty much the fundamental aspect of, of a hash. Don't be a dick to others and just be, you know, be nice and cool. And, you know, you're basically nine-tenths of the way there. I think that hashes should respect that there are traditions that are different. And you cannot override those traditions because it doesn't fit your sensibilities or you don't agree with them at some level. I mean, that's fine. You don't like it. You don't have to go to the hash the next time. There are many, many different hashes you can always attend to. Like, I remember a visitor to, I think it was a San Francisco hash, and she was just finding the the songs that they sung terribly um, offensive. And she made that really well known. I mean, it's it's terrible for me to say that, but instead of shutting up and just going away, leaving, no one's making you stay, don't come back to that hash. She left, joined, I think, the Bay Area hash. I, I, I don't remember, but she did, I saw her in the un, another event, and another hash, and she was perfectly fine because they didn't do those things. They didn't sing those lewd songs or, or do anything. They were just more of a brunch hash, I guess you could say. Like, they just got together, had cocktails, did a very lazy run or walk or meander definitely a different kind of hash. Fine, you know, that that's how it is. You you gotta respect the traditions of the hash you attend and you can't, oh no, this is wrong, you can't do this. It, it doesn't work that way. They have those rules because that's that's how they've evolved and you gotta respect that. And I think that's kind of the core thing. Most hashes, in fact, 99% of the hashes understand this. They go to hash and they respect those traditions and they go with it, they run with it. And I, I love that about our, our people <laughs> get a couple rotten eggs and right, some eggs just happen to be worse than others and it really spoils the whole thing for the others, for many of the other hashes when those rotten eggs do incredibly rotten things and I don't want to pull names out. There are times when hashes have crossed the line and have crossed it badly there had to be some intervention. It's not often, I'll, gi I'll give you that, but it has happened. I know some people listening to this will know exactly whom and what I'm referring to in some cases. And in other cases, you know, it's best if we just let sleeping dogs lie, I suppose. Okay, one final question. Is the RA always right? <laughs> yes, of course. The RA is always right. Wow, what great history. I want to thank Fast Food for sharing all that hashing life with us. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, and hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child. Sweet.